Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, it's so good to be here in our new location, and uh, I want to thank all of you for coming out this morning. Let's uh, open up our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to look at uh, verses 1 to 9. And while you're doing that, also reach into your program and pull out your crosswalk notes. We'll be using those a little bit later. Here's what it says. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, we, um, we live in a world where it's so easy to have our faith be compartmentalized and segmented off. And then a moment happens when all of a sudden you realize that God is part of everything that's going on. This uh, past week, my daughter gave birth to our second grandchild, and uh, we got to look at pictures of the brand new baby on Facebook, and she sent some via email. And man, what, a, what an amazing thing that is, even just to see a picture of a newborn baby, to see the parents, and if I might say so, maybe even the grandparents a little bit in the face of that little baby. And And in that moment, when you're looking into the eyes of a brand new child, it's almost impossible not to think that God is just here all around us. And you've you've had those moments, whether it's it's looking into the eyes of a brand new baby or or maybe sitting by a, a mountain stream or the ocean shore. Or maybe a special moment in your life where you've just said, right here, right now, God is present. Sometimes we feel that on a Sunday morning when we come to church and we're gathered around the Word of God. And and actually, whether we feel it or not, it's real. Because God says, wherever two or three people are gathered in my name, wherever his word is, wherever the sacraments are, God is present, and his presence is real, and his presence here this morning is very real. But in the midst of all of this life, how do we know what our 
special calling from God is? Are we tempted, as I said at the beginning, to leave God only for those special moments or special places like church or Sunday morning or when we're seated by that mountain stream? We're tempted to sort of push God off in a box and we have our life that's for God and we have our life that's for ourselves. And we sort of work maybe even a little bit to keep them separate. And so, of course, because we're in a new location, I felt like I needed to start off with a, with a quiz this morning. And I, I brought a number of objects with me. And I want to ask you, which of these objects that I've got here on the table are best suited to helping you really serve God in your life? To really make God part of everything that you're doing? Would it be when you're behind the wheel? That the best time to, to be with God? That a, that's something that you do? Or... Um, How about, uh, how about here? Do you know how many keystrokes the typical person does in the United States today each and every day? 20,000 keystrokes is the average that each and every American does a day, enough to power a 60-watt light bulb for a whole hour. There's actually a micro-generator that can do that if you want to get it. Is this the tool that you would use to best serve God? How about this? A lot of you going to school. Here's a college textbook on nutrition and diet therapy. Is this the object that you would say would really equip you to find your godly calling in life and figure out, you know, where does God want me to be? A college textbook. Or maybe you're a handyman. And man, when you have a hammer or a screwdriver in your hand, it's during those times where you can really think about God and be with God. Maybe it's having these tools in your hands. And of course, today's the 4th of July, so it couldn't go without mentioning that uh, even paratroopers, while they're in the middle of the air, maybe especially when they're in the middle of the Think about God. And these are real paratrooper boots worn by a true-life paratrooper. Would this be the best tool for helping you think about God? Put, you know, tie these on and then jump out of a plane? What do you think? Well, my answer is all of the above. And I really believe that's God's answer to this question because what God really says is, let's break down the walls. Let's not have compartments in our lives. In fact, let's tear down all those little spaces, some of which we build for God and some of which we build for ourselves or other people, and let's make it all for him. Pull out your Bibles again. I want you to look at this passage. You know, there's probably no better person to teach us 
about how to find your true calling in life and how to see, if you see the the subtitle of our series, My Vocation Destination, Finding the Extraordinary in the Ordinary. Really what that title is looking at is vocation, meaning calling. Where does God call me to end up with my life? And the subtitle really gives us the answer. He calls us to serve him in all the little ordinary things that go on in our life because when those are covered with the blood of Christ, with his mercy and forgiveness and grace, when those are covered by his commandments and his love, the love that we reflect to others, the ordinary truly becomes the extraordinary. And that's what Moses is teaching here. Notice what it says. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. I want you to think about Moses. He's the one that wrote those words. And he writes these words at the very end of his life. Over a hundred years old now. And Moses has been through a lot in life. Remember at age 40, he murdered a man thinking that he was defending a fellow Israelite. And he flees justice out into the desert and lives for 40 years in a desert, dry desert, being a shepherd, a land called Midian. The end of that 40 years, God comes to him in a burning bush and he says, Moses, I've got a job for you. I want you to lead my people out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and I want you to bring them to freedom, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses knew that this was not going to be an easy job. At first, he tries to wiggle out of it, but God doesn't let him. And yet, as we look at Moses now, as he's saying these things, I want you to think about where all that ended up. You know what's amazing? The Bible tells us that the journey from Mount Sinai to the edge of where you would go to enter kind of the staging area to go into the land of Israel by foot, should take about 11 days. 11 days. Anybody here know how long the Israelites were out there? 40 years. Can you imagine thinking it's only 11 days away and I can fulfill my calling? Has, has given me the vocation has given me the calling to lead these people not only out of Egypt, but into the promised land of Canaan. It's only 11 days away. And because the people rebelled against God, literally picking up stones, getting ready to kill Moses because he wanted to lead them in because they were so afraid of the people in the land of Canaan, even though God had promised them, look, I'll take care of that for you. He promised them that. And the people said, no, these people are too strong for us. Their towns and their walls are too big. 
We want to go back to Egypt. And so Moses, talk about an exercise in futility, spends the next 40 years making circles in the desert. Some of you feel like you're making circles in the desert at your job at the things that you do in daily life, and it's maybe a little bit tough to see what God's true purpose for you is and what you're doing. This is why Moses is such a great person to give us this message. Because what he really tells us is that if we have three things then whatever we're doing, even if we're making circles in the desert and we're not getting where, we, where, where we're called to go, at least called in our own minds to go, yet God has a purpose, a reason, and a calling for us in all the ordinary details of life. In other words, church isn't just here in the sense of the place where we come to honor God. Church isn't just Sunday. And you see, that's why it doesn't matter really where we worship, what building we worship in. Because the the place where we honor God is not just ALA. It's not just Chavez. The place where we honor God is everywhere we take a breath. Everywhere we take a step. And that happens with these three things. Now look again at that passage. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Will you grab your crosswalk notes again? First thing Moses is saying is, Wherever you breathe, wherever you step, wherever you talk, observe my commands. Observe the commands that God has given me to give to you. And so observe means this. Write this down. That I am called, first of all, my first vocation is to train myself to do God's commandments in my life, to live them out, to put them into practice. Take a look at Proverbs 7, 1 and 2. Notice what it says. Here's a book, by the way. Proverbs is a book of godly wisdom for us to take into our life. And what does this book of godly wisdom tell us to do? My son, keep my words and store my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Notice the beautiful promise there. Keep my commands, God says, and you will really experience what it is to live. And not just to live here, but to to live for eternity. Now, you and I know, we we prayed it already, that we have a little bit of a problem with that because 
were born sinful. In fact, not just sinful, but completely and fully depraved in sin. The only thoughts of our heart are only evil all the time, the Bible says about us. Wow. And so one of the first things that these commandments so beautifully do for us is, as Jonathan said, they help us to get real with God. They help us understand how tall his order is, complete perfection. Be perfect, God says, as perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we think about that standard, we say to ourselves, man, if I, if I have to hold that mirror up to myself, there is no way. We need that mirror so that we understand our deep need for a Savior. And we need these commandments also because they are a compass for our lives. When we go out into our everyday life, our work life, man, we need to know, how does God want me to deal with this situation or that situation? I'll tell you about a man in just a moment that was able to use God's commands that way. And when we do that, when we have this mirror and this compass, what we're going to find is that God's commands are so sweet. Look at what the psalmist writes. Here's, here's a songwriter and a poet, and he says, God, your commands, when I take them into my entire life, man, that is sweet to me. Let's read it. Will you read it with me? Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You know, there was a time in this country where lives were not quite so compartmentalized as they are now. Back in colonial times when this country was being born, there were little villages that dotted the eastern coast in every little village, a church or two or three. One of the most famous of those churches was found in a little village in the state of Massachusetts, famous because it had been founded by the famous American evangelist George Whitefield. And George founded this church called the Old South Church with people that when I read about them, I couldn't help but think about crosswalk people. You, of course, know they had to be revolutionaries, right? Because the very first volunteer group of soldiers to sign up for the Continental Army came out of George Whitefield's congregation. And mind you, George was a very conservative Bible scholar 
He didn't preach a lot of politics, but what he preached was God's law and God's gospel. And when he confronted people with the hard truth of the commandments and then comforted them with with the sweetness of the good news of Jesus Christ, what happened to them is what happens to us today. Hearts changed. Lives were transformed. And that meant everything. And it changed their view of their country. It even changed their view of slavery. George Whitefield's congregation was one of the first congregations in the United States to become integrated and to have African-American people seated right there next to white people in the church all the way back in the 1700s. In fact, the very first abolitionist came out of this amazing church. And, and so we see that when this happens, when people say, okay, yes, we want a country where there's separation of church and state, and they did say that, but we also want a nation of people that do not, ironically, have a separation of faith and life. See, there's a difference between that. Sometimes I wonder if we understand that. It's a good thing to have separation of church and state. But when we take that to mean a separation of faith and life, we've taken it too far. Remember what Moses tells the children of Israel as he prepares them to enter this new place where they're going to live and work and play. You go in there, take my commands with you. And evangelists and pastors like George Whitefield founded this country on principles like that. Separation of church and state all the way, yes. But never, ever, ever separation of faith and life. They are integrated. So here's the first thing that I want you to write down. uh, Your first major point, that is, I can't not take God's commandments with me. I can't not take God's commandments with me. Those of you who don't like double negatives, you know what that means? Wherever I go, I must take God's commandments with me. But that's not all. That's not all by a long shot. There's something else that's even more important that we take with us. Let's continue to read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In verse 3, it says this, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. If you're reading that here, will you do me a favor and underline or circle the word promised? It's an important word. Think about these people. (laughs) Moses had come to them while they were still in Egypt, living in the land of Goshen, a beautiful land. Their cattle was there. They were prosperous. Even though they were slaves, they had multiplied to probably somewhere around 2 million people. 
God had really blessed them in this land. And now Moses comes and he says, look, I promise you, I promise you, the Lord has sent me. He has made it my vocation destination that I should take you out of this land of slavery and lead you into a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan. And God has not only promised me this, but he has made many great promises to you. He will take care of you and be with you all the way there. And he will defeat those people in Canaan and hand that land to you. And how many of those promises got fulfilled? Plagues on the mightiest man in the world of that day until finally he said, get out can't take it anymore. Dividing a sea so that the children of Israel could pass through on dry land. When the Israelites got to the other side and began to march through the desert and they, they were worried and upset because they didn't feel like they had enough water to drink, enough food to eat, God split open rocks and let water flow out of rocks and he let bread, manna, drop from the sky sent quails at evening so they had plenty to eat and on and on and on god kept one promise to them after another and still as you heard me say when they went into the land of canaan to investigate it in that very first year when they had escaped from egypt they still looked at those people and said no moses we don't know if we can do this in fact we know we can't and they lost sight of God's promises. Take a look at what it says here. Psalm 119, same psalm that we read earlier. Notice what the songwriter says this time. Your promises, God, have been thoroughly tested. Children of Israel knew this. They had seen them be tested and come true time and time again. And your servant loves them. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on what? Not just your commandments. Not just holding up that mirror to see our sins. Not just having the compass in hand, but even more so having the good news of a Savior of his mercy and forgiveness and God's promises to be with us every step of the way, all through the night, the psalmist says, I think about those promises. I want you to write this down, and I hope you believe it for your everyday life too. God's promises have been thoroughly tested. And not only have they been tested, look at what, Joshua says, now this is Joshua, not as he's leading the people in to take over the land of Canaan. Remember that Joshua was the person who took the baton from Moses. And his vocation destination in life was to actually lead the people in, conquer the land, and take hold of the gift that God was giving them. Now Joshua looks back on his life probably another 40 or 50 years later, after Moses. And what does he say? You know with all your heart and soul, he says to his people, 
that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. And do you believe that? As you go about your daily life, even in the ordinary details of your life, man, I can tell you, I, I get the privilege of talking to people in our, in our church as they're going through some, some stuff in their lives. This person struggling with the job market. Another person struggling with finances. Still another struggling with health issues or relationship problems. And one of the most important things when you're going through those tough times in life is to not lose hold of this. The very thing that Moses was trying to tell the Israelites, don't, don't lose hold of this. The very thing that Joshua, the, at the end of his life, says to them, don't lose hold of this. God's promises don't fail. In fact, Joshua says, not even one of them, in my experience, has ever failed. And here's the last reason why we need to hold on to God's promises in life. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Will you circle that phrase, everything we need for life and godliness? Notice the thought of integration there. God gives you everything you need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, and then notice how he mentions promises. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You and I, as we go through life, are going to be challenged and tested every step of the way. And how do we know if we're ready to meet the challenge? How do we know if we can pass the test? Peter tells you, God has already given you everything you need. Everything you need for life and godliness, everything you need to escape the corruption, the spoilage of sin in this world is right here in God's love in God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness, in God's very great promises to us. God's promises give us what we need for life and godliness and help us to escape from corruption. Now, you might be saying to yourself, really? I don't know if that's going to work in my real life. And I did a little research. Could I find a business person that said, you know, I've put the commandments and I've clung to God's promises in my everyday life and I've found that when I did that, the extraordinary things of life came right out of the ordinary of life. And I found him without too much trouble at all. His name is John Beckett. 
And he is the owner and the CEO of a company named J.W. Beckett. And you know what they make? Oil heaters for homes. I think most of us would say, well, I'm not sure that that's serving God, making oil heaters for homes. Being a factory, how is that serving God? Because we go out life with that compartmentalized view. And at first, John Beckett really wasn't serving God all that much in his business. He really didn't know that much about God, but he married a godly woman, Christian woman. She began to work on him with God's mirror of the law and God's very good and gracious promises, not one of which ever fails. And then God met John's wife with a few events. First of all, John's dad, who had founded the company, had a heart attack and passed away. And then John and his family were not too long after that, on their way up to their cottage for a little vacation. And I don't know exactly how this happened, but somehow their daughter slipped out of the car as they were traveling and rolled out of the car while it was in motion. And shortly after that, his factory caught on fire. And John began to think, What about God? Where is God in all of this? Is God really here in my everyday life? John's wife kept reassuring him that he was. And John decided to start coming to church with his wife to listen to God's commandments and hear those promises. And he found that it gave him comfort in the death of his dad found that it began to cause him to see God's hand, God's powerful hand in protecting the life of his daughter, who although she fell out of the car while the car was in motion, all she sustained were a few scratches. And John, when that third thing hit, the fire in the factory, was amazed at God's promises to help him, when even though the factory was a big mess, they were able to work things out so they did not miss filling even one order by God's gracious hand. Can these things work just in everyday life as we've got our paratrooper boots on or we're studying for another test or we've got a hammer and a screwdriver or we're typing away on the keyboard, does, does it really work to bring God into those ordinary little things of life? Well, John Beckett would say that's the only way it really works. That our church is our whole world and our whole life every minute of every day and that God wants all of us. Take a look at your notes And I want you to write this down. As I go out into life, I can't not take God's promises with me. Now there's one last thing. And you see it in that Deuteronomy 6 passage as you read on. Look at verse 4. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments, Moses says, that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And here's where I want you to carry them, he says. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. In other words, have God's word in your mind all the time. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Give yourself little reminders of God's promises and God's commands. Bind them on your forehead. Don't ever stop thinking about them. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, when I read that passage, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, it reminds me of what must have comforted Moses as he made all those circles for 40 years in the wilderness, comforted him to think that he was still fulfilling his calling for God, that he was still going to reach his vocation destination. And do you know what I think that was? In that little phrase, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's this, that we have one God who has one huge purpose in all lives, a purpose that will never be lost or forsaken by God. God has a big plan, this one God. And Moses never forgot that. He knew that even if God had him and the children of Israel wandering around, that God had promised that one day through Abraham's children, he would send a savior. He would give the world a Messiah, someone to take away all our sins all our guilt, all our shame, and to put the world right again. You and I today, we sit here and look back and see that God fulfilled that big promise too, didn't he? We sit here today declared innocent in the sight of God, made holy, by the power of the Holy Spirit, day by day, struggling to develop more fully as followers of Christ. And all because we have the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives, because once again, not one of all the Lord's good promises has failed, especially not that one, the promise of Jesus Christ. Now that Jesus says to you and to me, the one who loved you so much to stretch out his arms and go to the cross for you, he says, come on, I want you. And talk about the word call. There's your calling, your big, big calling. Jesus calls you to to say, come, come on, follow me. Take a look at what it says in this passage here. He says, it's not going to be easy. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. 
take up his cross daily and follow me. Come on, he says, follow me. Yeah, you're going to have to deny yourself to do it. There are going to be crosses to bear to do it, but follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. All of it, even the ordinary things will be saved by having the blood of Christ poured over them. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? We talk about vocation destination. There's one vocation destination that we must never lose sight of, and that is the cross and the empty tomb. That our eyes would never lose sight of the fact that you and I can take all of our sins and lay them at the foot of the cross and let that be our destination and our calling every day. And then from there, it's sort of a rhythm, isn't it? We move into the cross. We leave our sins, guilt, and shame behind, and then the cross motivates us to go out again and to answer our calling in the power of God the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with others. And just as the Lord is one, God wants us to be single-minded and single-focused on that cross and that empty tomb. Look at what it says in Luke 9, 61 and 62. Still another said, this is following on what Jesus has said earlier, I'll follow you, Lord, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And you see what Jesus says there? Not easy words, not by a long shot. He says to you and me, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And why does he say that? Same reason we've been talking this entire message. Jesus does not just want a piece of you. He does not want one of your compartments, one of your days, part of your heart, a smidge of your mind. God wants all of you, your entire heart, your entire mind, your entire effort and strength. And he wants your entire focus. And when we do that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, only by the power of the Holy Spirit, then that's what truly makes the ordinary in life extraordinary. I can sit and type at a keyboard I can wear army boots, study a textbook, or wield a hammer and screwdriver. I can even be on my cell phone, and I can still carry Jesus with me. He wants to be there, and he asks me if he can be there every moment of the day, and he asks you the same question. And that's the third major point that allows us to make the ordinary turn into something extraordinary, that I will always carry my Savior Jesus with me. I can't not take him with me. You know, it's kind of interesting. Yesterday in the move, people were coming in and 
looking at the new environment, kind of celebrating and enjoying it a little bit, of course, but also mixed with feelings of sadness over not being at ALA anymore. One of our volunteers, Eric, was talking with, the, with me and another person or two, and he said something really profound, I think. He said, crosswalk is not a place. Crosswalk is not a building. Crosswalk, he said, is a state of mind. <laughs> I love that. And isn't that what we're learning this morning, really? About how to make all the little ordinary things that we do all day. Luther said, even a milkmaid can milk cows to the glory of God. That when we carry God's commandments with us, we have them constantly on our mind. When we carry God's promises with us and when we carry our Savior Jesus with us everywhere we go, then guess what? Not just crosswalk the church is a state of mind, but walking the crosswalk, the cross of Jesus' walk, is a state of mind that goes throughout our lives. Take a look at your next steps in the crosswalk. You can serve God wherever you are. That's been the point of today's message. Whether you're at a keyboard, whatever you're doing. But let me encourage you also to remember that serving at church is a great practice field for everyday life. And uh, man, what great opportunities we have for you to plug in and get connected here at Crosswalk. This church, we want it to be a practice field for you to have an extraordinary life. Second of all, I want to remind you, our growth groups are so important to what we do here at Crosswalk. And it's true. The people that are going to be in your growth group, are, they're ordinary people. Sinners, just like me and you. But I think every person who's in a growth group will tell you that when you put a group of ordinary sinners together in a growth group and they begin to love and support and feed each other with God's word, extraordinary things can happen out of that group. Finally, take a moment to meditate on and memorize Luke 9, 23 to 25. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you brought us here to this place of worship today. Help us to see the extraordinary and all the little ordinary details of our life and to, to understand that what you may be calling us to is what we're already doing and that we just to, need to infuse what we're already doing, all the little things in our life, with your commandments, your love, with your mercy and forgiveness and your promises, and with your son, Jesus Christ. And when we do that, amazing things. In fact, our life will become transformed and extraordinary in every way. I pray that every person in this room experiences that extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.